It's good to be here. We are in week two, and it's kind of silly to start a series and then have a week in between, but that's what I did. And so we're going to catch you up today. Um, I'm also excited about a couple other things. Uh, we started our growth track today. We haven't been doing growth track for a while. Growth track is a way for you to get to know more about the church, see how you fit at the church, see things you could help you know, be part of here at the church. It's something we do every, every Sunday morning. It'll be 9 o'clock. It's in there. There's a classroom right behind the cameras. So you at home, you can just turn around. I'm just kidding. And look <laughs> right behind the cameras. And, and where it is, what we do is every first week will be the same class. And then the second week will be the same third week, fourth week. So you can jump in anytime. So we'd look, love to have you. If you're newer to the church and just want to see how things work or where you could fit, you can jump into that any, any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. So it'd be great. And then uh, who here is over 55? 55 and over. To get your discount at Culver's? <laughs> I don't, I don't know what other places give discounts. I just know I went in there the other day, and they're like, sir, do you want the discount? The, I said, what discount? And they're like, the, they said the senior citizen discount. And I, I thought they were kidding with me. And I was, I was uh, I'm like, uh, what age does this start at? And then the, then the girl felt bad. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I didn't mean to imply, you know, like, like well, you kind of did, but that's okay. And uh, it's kind of like that, but it's a lot more fun. Uh, so we... Our, we meet the first uh, Tuesday of the month, and it's a, it's, it is a fun time. We have, uh, inter- we have entertainment. We do worship. We eat food together. I encourage you to come if you're 55 and over. It, it's in the gym. You will not want to miss it. So good times. All right. So this series, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about it for so many reasons, but this series we've called The God Who Sees Me. So two weeks ago, I asked you to take a ride with me. Do you remember that? Anybody? Oh, goodness, that's a test of a teacher. Nobody remembers? All right, well, okay, we'll have to do it all over again. Um, kind of kidding. But I do want you to take a ride with me. Now, since we already did this, we'll do a faster ride. We'll, we'll keep the, maybe we'll keep the windows down. Is that good? Anybody ride to church today with the windows down? I did. It was glorious. It was like 65 outside. And then uh, it might have dipped to 59. I don't know, but uh, it was nice outside. I know some of you watching from California are like, that's so cold. Well, yeah, but after you've been in the 90s, high 90s with 90% humidity for a while, that's just a great break. I love it. Um, but I do want, I want to take you on a ride because, as I say a lot of the time, never read just a Bible verse. You need to understand how what we're talking about today came about and why it matters. So as we're talking about this, I, I'm just going to try to introduce you to the things. And, and what, I, what I was explaining before, it's like, I I want you to experience what I've experienced with this. I want you to have the same epiphany, the same experience where you say, yes, I get that. Now I understand what you're talking about. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed that there's things in life where you just can't understand if you weren't there. Do you know what I'm talking about? You've gone on some trip or you've been somewhere and you tell somebody about it. You can tell in their eyes they're not getting it. And then usually you say, well, you had to be there. And some things just don't add up to the hype, you know. There's times where you go somewhere and you just think, oh, it's not going to be as good. And I mean, I almost, I almost hate when somebody tells me this movie's fantastic because then I go and it's never quite what I thought it would be. This thing about you understanding, it's almost like, in a way, it's the difference between pity and compassion. You know, you know pity's where you feel sorry for somebody, but compassion's where you care about the circumstance they're in. I want this to be that, where you're with me, that you're walking this, this road with me. It's kind of the difference between sympathy and empathy. You know the difference, right? 
I mean, sympathy, you do care about what they're going through, but, but empathy is different because you've experienced it already. You understand at a different level. It's, I've heard it explained like this, like, like say somebody falls in a hole and you walk by and you look at him and you're like, man, <laughs> stinks to be that guy. What's that? That's like pity. You, you pity him. On the other hand, if you have sympathy for them, you look at them and you're like, man, I'm so sorry you're down there. But empathy is different. Empathy says, I've been where you are. I know what it's like to be down there. I can feel what you're feeling because I was there. And it goes even a step further. What I want you to do is actually get in the hole with them and then help them out of the hole. I want you to experience this with me. So I want you to walk this with me. You You know what this means. It's like when you've experienced grief, you can help people with grief, right? You know what it's like. You've walked the path. That's one of the powerful things about our grief share class that meets every Sunday morning at nine o'clock. The room is right over here, right back behind you to the right. They, they help people walk through a loss of a spouse or loss of a family member. And you understand it more when you've walked through it. It's different. It's when you've, when you've had maybe an issue with a job. Anybody ever here lost a job before? It's not something you want to raise your hand for maybe. But when you've done that, you know what it's like. You know the embarrassment of packing up your desk and carrying a box out. If you haven't, I don't know if you could really understand. It's not the same. If you've been through a divorce, a lot of people do not understand what that's like unless you've walked through it. Maybe you've felt abandoned or been abandoned. Maybe you've been through a serious illness. I know for me, excuse me, yeah, I, I spent a, like two months in the hospital with an accident with my leg. I, when I go see someone in the hospital, it's not like a foreign place to me. I've been in that bed. I've laid there like they're laying there. I've seen the machines. In fact, what happened to me, it was over Y2K. Does anybody remember that? I know it was 20 years ago, but you remember Y2K? Remember what they thought was going to happen? We thought when the... It, for those you young people have no idea what we're talking about... What they thought would happen is when it, the date went from 1999 to 2000, a lot of computers, a lot of systems weren't designed to have 2000s. So they thought the whole world was going to fall apart, that all these computers were going to flip out and things were just going to stop working. So we were literally, uh, as, as midnight approached, like in Australia, in my room, a bunch of the nurses and aides that I'd gotten to know over months, we just sat around and watched. We were just wondering what machine would turn off first. Actually, we had plans to move to, to Missouri because we thought we could live off the land, you know, and move with Nicole's family and get a cow. And that's what we were thinking, you know, being in L.A. But in the end, none of that happened. But if you haven't been in a hospital room like that, you don't understand it. If you've walked your kid through a long-term illness, then you get that at a level other people just don't get. Do you see what I'm saying? I want you to walk with me like that. I, want, I know that those are, these are experiences. If you've had a near-death experience, it's something that you can relate to other people who have had that in a different way. It's like soldiers who relate to one another because they know what combat's like. And if you've never been in it, you don't know. And cops, they understand each other. And EMT and nurses and doctors, they work that way. The shared experiences, they become more real, more intense. That's why girls want to go hang with the girls because they get each other. Thank God someone gets them, right? Just kidding. I'm just joking. <laughs> when I was a youth pastor, it was so good to have female volunteers because there were times like a, a high school girl come up and she's like telling me all this stuff and, and I'm just like, okay, but why? Why is that a problem? 
I mean, like, in my mind, I didn't say it out loud, but I'm like, yeah, I get all that, but what? And then, thankfully, a female volunteer come up like, yeah, come here, hon, let me talk to you. That's awesome, right? You, if you understand, you know. So, let's, so get, in the, get in the car with me. Let's drive fast. Are you ready? Okay. Take the top down, whatever works for you. Wind blowing your hair. Um, you know God loves you, right? Do you really know? Have you had an experience with him where you knew he loved you? He intervened for you. He called you out. He provided for you in a way that you know, you know, you know. And if you've had that experience, then you know. And if you haven't, I hope you do. I don't want you to be in a situation where you need him, but, but there's something different than when you know. When you know that he is speaking to you and you know that he is redeeming you and you know that he's working on your behalf. And the longer you walk with him, the more of those experiences you have, so the more you learn to trust him because he saved you again. Or he helped you again. The story of the Bible, it's, it's like this. What you've learned to walk through in the light, you can then walk through in the dark. If you've never had that experience and you're in the dark, you don't know you can trust him. But if you've experienced it in the light, it's easier to walk through in the dark. And it's good for someone to say, come alongside and say, brother, I've been there. He's going to walk you through this. And you can look to someone and trust them. But it's different if you've already walked through it and then you know. Do you know he loves you? I mean, loves you, loves you. Like created you specially. Like perfect. Like when you were conceived, that moment of unique human creation of God happened. You're a person like no other person. Do you realize the intrinsic value that you have? That he puts his identity in each and every one of us. And because of that, your life matters. You matter. The story of the whole Bible is like this. God created us for relationship. He wanted to know you. He didn't have to know you. He didn't need to know you. He wanted to know you. He wanted to. You know the difference, right? You talk to somebody and they're kind of talking past you and they're looking to see if there's somebody else coming that's more interesting. (laughs) Some of you are like, no, that's never happened to me. Well, it's happened to me, all right? And I can tell I don't matter to them. I can tell. On the other hand, when someone's talking to me and they actually want to know me, they're asking about me and my experiences and my thoughts and my, my, my opinions. You, you know what that feels like, right? They tell you when you're meeting people to try to use their name like seven times. That'll help you memorize it. And this is kind of funny too. People like to hear their name. Did you know God knows your name? He knows your name. Your parents may have given you your name. We were talking about that in our growth track class this morning, how you got your names and some cool stories about that. But God knows your name. He knows you. He wants a relationship with you, but he's not going to force it. He wants you to choose it. If he forced it, it wouldn't be a a true, love, open, free relationship, but he wants that relationship. And in the middle of this, man has sinned. We've separated ourselves from God. We've all sinned, every one of us. Now, it's different, perhaps, just off the top of my head, you know, hypocrisy, selfishness, gossip, derision, sexual immorality, envy, gluttony, slander. There's a lot of them. We do all these things. And the way, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every one of us are in the same boat with this. We've all separated ourselves. And I love this next verse, this Romans 6.23, because it's got the, the penalty, the payment, and the reward are all in one verse. And it says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We, paid, we, we created the, the problem, but he paid, for it. he paid for it with his own life, and then we get to live for it with him forever. That's his plan. 
So he had this plan. God had this plan. Now, I've talked about this before. If you were God, how would you reveal your plan to the humans? What would you do? You don't have to answer. I know what I would do. It would be probably a lot like, I I hesitate to say Thor because he's kind of arrogant. But, right? Wouldn't you do the Greek God thing? Wouldn't you? I mean, seriously. Wouldn't you just float down in this perfect, massive body and have all these powers and zap people who didn't believe? Right? Or irritated you? Am I right? That's not our God. That's humans. That's why we create these fictional things that we live vicariously through because that's what we would do. What he does is he comes as a gentle human to relate to humans, to walk our life. He comes as a helpless baby. Hebrews says it like this long ago, but God has always told us about it, but he didn't start with Jesus. Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors, to the prophets. Now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. He needed to get Jesus here, and He did that through a race of people, starting with one person, one man, Abraham, and his wife Sarah. And He promised them someday. Now, they had no idea what that was going to look like, of course. But he promised them, you're going to have a child, and through that child, I'm going to bless all nations. That's what he said. That was his plan. So in Genesis 3.15, this plan was, God was doing this plan all the time. He started even with Abraham. I mean, pardon me, with Adam. So even in Genesis, he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head. And uh, you will strike his heel. He's talking about the, the serpent and all that. He had a plan. So then he talks to Abram in, in uh, Genesis 15. The Lord said to him, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son, your own, who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. And this is how many descendants you'll be have. You will have. And then Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now we talked two weeks ago. It's hard to wait on God, isn't it? It's hard to wait. God's promised you things, but it's hard to wait. You're praying for things that you know God would do. Maybe it has something to do with a situation in your life. Maybe it has something to do with one of your kids. Maybe it has something to do with a relationship. Something very important to you, and you've been praying, but it's not happening. And Abraham was promised that God would give him an heir, but he was having a hard time waiting. We talked a lot about that last week. I don't want to go too deep into that again, but, but basically what had happened was... They were getting up there in age. Abram was 75 and Sarah was 65 when they received this promise. They were already past having baby years, right? But at that point in life, they already knew Sarah was barren. And in their, in their society, it was a tremendous shame. She, she probably felt like less of a woman. She probably felt like she wasn't qualified. She probably had all these doubts which I think some of us can feel when, when things aren't working out or maybe God's not blessing the way we think he should or doing what he thinks he should and you start to question, God, is something wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I don't know if you can imagine her situation because Abram had acquired a lot of wealth. They'd acquired servants and they had required, and some of them were paid, some of them were part of the family, but a, a huge group of people. At one point, for instance, when Lot gets captured, 
The scripture says that he rounded up 300 trained fighters who were born in his household. He had a huge group of people. And yet the woman at the top of all that couldn't have a baby. So she watched woman after woman after woman have children. I wonder if she held them sometimes. Do you think? I think so. I think they would bring their kids to her and just say, can you bless my child? Look at my baby. And they probably had no idea how it was tearing her up inside because she didn't have a baby. Long time. And again, not to, not to be a spoiler or anything, but it was 25 years later when Isaac was finally born. 25 years later. So in the middle of all this, she's getting frustrated. I don't know about you, but there's times where I get frustrated. I don't know what you do. I think what you do is probably similar to what she did. She probably got tired of asking God. She probably got angry with God. She probably got angry with everybody around her. She probably said, I don't want to see another baby. Don't, don't you let one more person bring a baby to me. And I think she'd be somewhat justified. She was frustrated. She probably got jealous. She probably withdrew. She probably got angry. And then what she did was a very accepted practice in their culture. She brought one of her servants to Abram and she said, take her and have a baby. And it will be our baby. We'll raise the baby. Did God forget about Sarah? No, he didn't. But sometimes it feels like he forgot. So the way this story goes, I want to read this scripture and we're going to pivot a little bit. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. Then Sarah turned to Abram and said, this is all your fault. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm glad it was a woman who laughed right there. Okay. Um, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Not only does she misrepresent what really happened, then she says, God's going to get you for this. I want us to think about a couple things here. The New Testament in Galatians, Paul uses this story as an example of how the Galatians at that point, they were starting to try to work their way to God. They'd already been given the freedom, and we, we know that you don't have to work your way to God. But they were starting to do that again because some people had convinced them that, no, you need to follow these rules, and you need to dress like this, and you need to be circumcised. And they went through all these things. So what Paul says is, he, he says, no, you, you working your way to God is like what Abraham and Sarah did with Hagar. That offspring was not the plan. That's not God's plan. That was the fruit of human effort. I think there's something we can learn there. Because there's times where I want to do it and figure it out on my own. And I feel like what happens a lot of times is my way is not his way. And when I force it, it doesn't go the way God planned. Now, God is amazing. And he does like the worship songs we sang. He can take my foolishness and turn it into good. He does that. But here's the bottom line there. What, why do we do that? Here's why. We start to wonder, God, are you good? God, do you know who I am? God, are you aware of my situation? Do you care? And in the middle of that, we start to think, maybe he doesn't, and I'm going to take things into my own hands and do it my way. <clears throat> now let's think about this for a minute. What about Hagar? 
To be honest with you, 35 years in ministry, I've never one time considered preaching about Hagar. Not one time. I don't like this story. I don't like how it ends. I don't like, I don't like how it goes. It bothers me. I don't like how she was treated. I don't like any of this. So what about Hagar? Who cared about Hagar? Do you realize what's happening here? Was it her choice? No. Now, granted, she did treat her Sarah with contempt. I get that. She's not really even the focus of the promise. She's not even really the star of the story. She's not. In this story, and really probably in the world, she was kind of like a nobody, right? Maybe like you, maybe like me. Do you think she felt that way? Do you think think she felt like maybe God was God of Abraham and Isaac, but not her? Because of the way she was being treated? I don't know. I I wonder about that part. She was mistreated. What happened to her was unfair. She deserved better. Or maybe you're thinking she deserved what she got. There is that verse in in, uh, Proverbs 19.3, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then they're angry at God. That happens. None of us, right? We never blame God for the mess that we get ourselves into. This, this story, this part of the story, it bothers my sense of equality and justice. It bothers my sense of fairness. And it's easy to take verses and stories like this out of context. And then you shake a finger at God and say, God, you're not fair. And you're also not fair in my life. And you're not fair in this situation. And you're not fair over here. And in doing that, what we do is we set our, ourselves as a judge over God. It's easy to do that. Something really important to, keep, to remember here Never take a text out of context because then, sadly, you can use it for a pretext to say whatever you want. You've got to say, look at it all together. That's why I wanted you to get in the car and drive with me and walk this whole way. Something else I think you need to really understand and think about is these scriptures were not written in the 21st century America. They weren't written like what we would think, and they don't address a lot of times our issues. There is a message in here which you're going to get to today, but that's not what it was. There's something else to think about. There's a lot of things in scripture that are, are describing the events. And it's easy for us to misunderstand and think that because it was Abraham doing something, then it must be what God wanted him to do and what we should do today. And that's not the case. It's actually pretty clear at times that some of this is just descriptive and there are other things that are prescriptive. In other words, these are things that you should do. Here's what the people of Israel did. They were disobedient. They, they did crazy things sometimes. We're not supposed to do those things, but they happened. Me, for one, I'm glad the Bible is honest about that. I'm glad that you can read the Bible and see the people, the characters in there, warts and all. As great, for instance, as David was, he still sinned with Bathsheba. He was fallible and human and he made mistakes. The Bible doesn't set up for us role models to follow that are perfect and never have problems. In fact, they're real human beings with real issues, just like you and me. So this particular part of the story is descriptive. It's what happened. It's not what God planned. God's plan was for a man and a woman and for a family. Now he allowed them multiple wives, but that was not his plan. So in the middle of this, what do you think Hagar was thinking? I wonder what she was thinking. Because as we move on in the scripture... Genesis 16, 6, Abraham replied, look, 
You can see it, right? Doesn't this sound like an argument? Not that you've had, but maybe you've seen on TV, right? She says, I can't wait to have a baby. Take my servant and have a baby. Then she gets pregnant. She goes, look what you did, right? And then he comes back and he says, look, she's your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. She probably ran toward her native Egypt is probably where she ran. Arid, dry, desolate, a pregnant woman alone. Think, think Afghanistan right now. I don't know if you've seen pictures and videos. Think about that. Think about the hopelessness that she would have felt at that moment, completely alone. Up until this point, she would have been really in the center of a household that would have been a huge, massive group of people, completely protected, provided for her every need. Now, she was a servant, but she was at the top of all that whole, that whole group. And now she's where? By herself. Abandoned, hopeless, mistreated, unfair, alone. Where was God? I'm sure she wondered. I'm sure she was praying and she probably thought, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Where are you for me and my baby? You probably had these feelings. You probably felt like this. That maybe God didn't hear you. He's hearing other people and things are working out for them. And then now I'm on the outs and everything's, everything's horrible for me. Maybe you've wondered like that like when your child was sick. Or maybe when there was trouble in your marriage. Or when someone died. Or, or you're in a new school and things are crazy. And you don't have the friends you thought you would have. And maybe when your kids rebel or the world is spinning out of control. You start to doubt him. I wonder what was going through her mind I wonder what she thought. Did you think at some point she said, but I know Abraham talks about you like you're a God of provision and I've seen you bless him. What about me? What about me? Do you wonder, does he know where you are? Does he know? And how long do you have to pray and why doesn't he answer quicker? And <clears throat> Maybe you've been mistreated by the church. People in the church. This church, another church. And I'm glad you're here today. Maybe you're watching online and it's because you don't feel comfortable going inside. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine. She, she mentioned she hadn't been back to church since before COVID and part of it was people in the church had hurt her. And she just was saying it's so sad that the people who should be treating me the best have treated me the worst. I want you to understand this is not God's plan. Let's read the rest of this verse. This story. <clears throat> the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I want to stop there for a second. I feel like for some of us today, God is saying that to you today. Where have you come from and where are you going? Because you kind of run away. You kind of thought God wasn't for you or he wasn't helping you or he wasn't doing what you needed him to do. So you've kind of said, I don't get it, but I'm turning away. She replies, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord says to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. 
It's really interesting right here. There's a lot of theologians wonder, it, this angel's called the angel of the Lord, but when he starts to say that he's going to do certain things, a lot of theologians wonder if this might be a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself. They call those theophanies. There's a few places in scripture where it's, the person is called the angel of the Lord and then doesn't talk like just a messenger, talks like it has the authority of God himself. I will give you more descendants than you can count. Nick, if you could join me on stage here. The angel said also, you are now pregnant and and will give birth to a son. You're to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. If you were her right then, your whole mind would be blown. It's hard for us to see it, but you, you see that word Ishmael? Do you see how it ends in E-L? You may never have thought about this before, but in their language, E-L was the common name for God. It'd be like in our language, we use God in a lot of ways. When I'm praying to God, I know who I'm talking about, but then you hear God used in our language all the time. That wasn't God's proper name. Like, it wouldn't be his proper name, like Jehovah or, or Yahweh, but that was a term. And what they would do often is make compound words Anytime you see E-L, like Daniel, that's, E-L is talking about God. It's a compound name. Ishmael, the parentheses, the parenthetical statement in the word says, which means God hears. I guarantee you, he's telling her the name of her child, and he's telling her that the name means God hears. She'd been wondering the whole time, God, where are you? Do you hear me? Do you know who I am? She's telling him, not only do I know who you are, you're going to name your son so you will never, ever forget that God hears. In fact, every time you call his name, you're probably going to think about that when you're sitting behind, beside that spring, and the angel appeared to you and said, God hears. Can you imagine that? Every single time you called your child's name, you were saying, God hears. He didn't stop there. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man and as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. He said, she said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that, so that well right there was named Beer Lahoy Roy, which means well of the living one who sees me. Roy mean who see, re, means who sees me. And it can still be found between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar gave Abram a son. She went back, had her baby, gave him to Abram. Abram raised him as his son. He was responsible for that baby. And Abram was 68 years old when Ishmael was born. The God who sees me. He sees me. He sees you. He hears you. He sees you in the situation that you're in. He sees you in all of the efforts that you've been putting toward changing these situations. The efforts you've been putting into changing. The the efforts you've been putting into following him. He sees you in all of those things. 
He sees your, he also sees your part in the problem. Hagar wasn't innocent in this. That's not the point. Because all of us know we're not innocent in it either. No matter what situation you're in, you know you're not innocent either. But he sees that as well. And he still loves you. He sees your tears. He sees your pain. He sees your questions. He sees your frustrations. He sees the failures. He sees you. The God who sees me. The Jews were, they did this a lot. They would make compound names, which I know you've heard these, like El Shaddai and and Jehovah Jireh and these kind of compound names for God that are descriptive of who he is. This is one of the first. El Roy, he sees me. He sees you. He promises her son was going to be a great nation. Returns to Abraham. He sees her. He sees you. You know who that God is? That's the same God that Jesus said had the, nar- the, the hairs on your head numbered. That's the same God who said, he knows when a sparrow falls, so wouldn't he know when you are struggling? But I know some of you are probably in the middle of something today and you're, you're thinking, okay, I, I know all that, but it sure seems like I'm alone. The problems I have in all the circumstances seem way out of control and I don't know what to do. Maybe you're watching online and you're just thinking, okay, it's fine and dandy that he sees me, but I don't know, does he know? He knows. He knows every one of the details. He knows everything about us. The thing is, even an attentive parent's got to sleep. He never sleeps. He always knows. He never misses one thing. I want you to shut your eyes for a second, everybody in the room. Even if you're watching at home, just shut your eyes for a second. To give you a sense of, of, of privacy in the middle of a group of people. I want you to hear this. He sees you. You're never alone. You're never forgotten. He will provide for you. He, he will take you through whatever it is. He will make a way. Sometimes he changes your circumstances. Sometimes he changes you. But he will make a way. He will change your attitude. Just the song, like the worship song we sang. He will take whatever's bad thing and turn it into his glory. That's what he does. He's working on your behalf. You may not see it, but he's working. You may not know what he's doing, but he's working. I want everybody to do this with me. I want you to say this with me. Just quiet, maybe even in your own mind, even just a whisper. He sees me. Can you say that with me? He sees me. I want you to own that today. I want you to experience the way I have over these last few weeks. He sees me. Say it again with me. He sees me. Do you believe it? Let's say it again. He sees me. Think about whatever situation you're praying for. Let's say it. He sees me. He sees me. He sees me. I want you to say it until you believe it. If you walk out of here today and you're still not sure, I want you to keep saying it. He sees me. He sees me. He sees me. He knows what's been done to you. He knows how frustrated you are. He knows how lost you feel. He knows how, how, how you wonder how things could possibly change. He sees me. He sees me. It changes everything gives hope helps you go out another day 
helps you to realize that he's there even when you didn't think so. I'm going to close our service this morning. Whether you're in this place or even online, with your eyes still closed. Maybe you're sitting here today and you have thought, man, I didn't really know God cared like that, but he does. Maybe today for you, you've realized that he cares in a way that's different than you've realized before and you're, you're willing to give him your life that you've never really been willing to before. And if this is true, that you could trust him, that you wanted to trust him today. Maybe you've walked with him before, but you've never really given him everything. Or maybe you're feeling like you need to come back to him. If that is you, I just want you to raise your hand so we can pray for you. Anybody here like that, that you just want to trust him today? I see that hand. I appreciate that honesty. Anybody else? You just want to trust him today. All right, we're going to pray for that. If you're online and you're feeling that today, let us know. You can say something in the chat lines or you can, you can email us at the church. It's easy to do. You can just email info at crownpointchurch.com. Be sure to put an E on the point. Would you stand with me as we pray? My prayer today is going to be for those who raise their hands wanting to trust him. But my prayer is also going to be for each of us. That as you walk out of this place, not only will you be confident that he sees you, but then you will be ready to share that with everybody who needs to know that. It might involve you telling them a story of how he's seen you. It might involve you just reassuring them. Because some people need to be reassured before they believe that for themselves. But let me pray with you this morning. God, I'm standing here just overwhelmed by the idea that you see us. You see me. You see me. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for a God who, who... is, is mightier than we can even conceive and yet is, has me on their mind, on your mind. God, you know who we are. You know what we walk through. I pray for these in this room, who, those who raised their hand that said they are willing to trust you today. God, we trust you that you have forgiven us of sin. You trust, I trust you, we trust you, that you want us to be part of, of your world and you part of ours. We trust you with that. God, I lift up these who are walking through situations that seem impossible, but we trust you with those. God, for those who are in need of physical healing or, or emotional or those who have memories that they just can't seem to get behind, that you know and that you are healing those. I pray for those who are struggling in a relationship, and God, we just ask that you would continue to work on those. We trust you for that. And God, we walk out of here excited about the, the, the truth that you see us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today. Have a great day. Share this with everyone you can think of.